Driven mofos, I'm guessing that you found out about this podcast because someone shared it with you, posted it on their Insta stories, tweeted it, or something like that. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and getting a heap of value from it, just like those who shared it with you. As you know, I don't run any paid ads or sponsorship on this podcast, as it's my goal to get good information out to the world for free. The only thing that I'd ask from you is that you continue to pay it forward by sharing this episode and letting others know about what we do in this podcast so that we can keep growing this amazing community of driven mofos. So please keep the good karma rolling and share this episode with someone or just share it on your socials. So the real question is, what is a win-win situation and what does it look like and how do you know if you've got it? Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where we talk about how to get the best out of yourself and how to build a life that you can't wait to get out of bed and live each day. This podcast is my attempt at documenting my journey, sharing my insights and what I've learned from being the private mindset and mental performance coach to some of the country's top athletes, rich listers, entrepreneurs, and running events for tens of thousands of people on how to better themselves and those around them. This is for those driven to achieve more in life, but are often underestimated by those around them. This podcast is my attempt at helping you prove your doubters wrong. Please enjoy. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about how to create a win-win situation because most people, when they create win-wins, create a substandard or a suboptimal solution for both parties or a win-loss scenario that parties haven't identified, which then leads to chaos or problems later on. Driven mofos, welcome back to another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. Let's talk about a win-win situation, a win-win scenario. A lot of people say they want a win-win, but really a win-win situation in most cases is going to end up as a win and a loss, or it's going to end up as chaos, or it's going to be a suboptimal situation or a suboptimal scenario for both parties. So when we're talking about a win-win, what we really want to talk about is what's the end objective and the end outcome that we're both aiming for. So in business, if we're talking about a win-win scenario, let's say, for instance, a win-win situation might be you want to borrow money from somebody. To borrow that money, it's got to be at a price point that is good for the person who's borrowing the money. But because someone is lending the money, there is also a risk associated with it. So that risk then has to have some return on investment because if not, you'd put your money elsewhere. So if you're taking on a high risk situation or a high risk investment, you need to have a higher reward. If you're taking on a low risk, you're probably gonna get a lower reward because there's a lot more certainty and a lot more guaranteed there. Now that may be a win-win situation, but in a situation where you're taking on a win and loss, it might be that you are stuck at the moment You've got no other way out and you have to take on money that has a high interest rate that you probably won't be able to afford to pay back unless everything works. And so someone's going to be prepared to lend you the money, but at a high interest rate that's probably going to sink the company, that's a win-loss situation. That's not a good idea. Now, this happens quite a lot in businesses where someone who's really struggling in business will then go and borrow money in order to hopefully grow their business, but they do it at a crazy high interest rate. Now, the lender doesn't realize that they have a less likelihood of getting their money back if the interest rate is too high because it's going to sink the business so they're not going to get their money back. But because they're looking for a short-term immediate gratification on their money and they want to get their money back quick and they think that high interest is a good way of doing that, that over time may sink the business and cause them to lose their money. And now, yes, there's higher risk, higher reward, but that's not a win-win scenario. That's like a, I'm in deep shit if I don't, pay that high level of interest and I can't really negotiate because maybe I've got a bad credit rating or something like that. But that's just a really bad way of operating in life and in business for both parties because it's going to put more stress on the business owner. That business owner is going to make bad decisions. Those bad decisions then are going to come back in cash flow. 
they're probably going to waste more money and lose more money because they're doing that. Then the bank's less likely or the lender's less likely to get their money back and they're more likely to go bankrupt. It's just a really bad scenario, but it happens quite a lot in business. The same thing can happen with investors. That can happen quite a bit as well. But when we think about a win-win, what we're really talking about is we're talking about how do we achieve a common objective together? So if you've got two parties that have a common objective and a common outcome, and it's clearly spoken about, then you bring up all the things that could go wrong and how do we deal with this? Now we're starting to get on the same wavelength. How do we deal with the situation when this type of scenario happens? And you're laying it all out up front. You're creating more of a win-win situation and more of an understanding. Then what you wanna do is you wanna think about the values of both parties. So I meet a lot of people who say, you know, I wanna make money, I wanna get rich, but at the same time, is it part of their value structure? If making money isn't a high value, then what will happen is they'll normally get the money and then they spend it anyway. And they'll be back at the same position that they've always been in, which is struggling for cash. So if you can really analyze somebody's values, then that will tell you what a win-win situation looks like. You also have to understand if they have fantasies or delusions. Now, this happens quite a lot in the business space. And I'll give you an example. If you're very good with money and you're a builder, and then you hire a whole bunch of trades, or actually, let's say you're a developer. So you're a developer and you make good money because you play your cards really, really well. You manage cash flow well. You manage the trades well, and you've got a good management team to make sure that builders are getting in on time, that the right things are happening at the right time, and that the right amount of pressure is put on the right people so that everything flows. And you make good money. If you were to rock up in a job site in your Ferrari because you've made a lot of really good decisions in business, and you're talking to a person who's on the tools, they're automatically going to overcharge you because they think you're making way too much money. So therefore, I'm going to overcharge you to do the same job, which has a set price point anyway, or an estimated price point anyway. So let's say you're hiring a plumber. That plumber is going to come in and they're going to do a job. They see the person rock up in a Ferrari. They think this person has a lot of money. Therefore, I'm going to charge them more. That's a really shitty strategy, and that's not a win-win. That's actually going to be a win-loss situation. Because the person who has the Ferrari is probably already really good at managing money and is quite structured with their money. Therefore, when you overquote them, you're probably not going to win that job. So therefore, you're going to lose and they will go and find someone who can do the job at the price point that they know is fair and reasonable. Now, if they've worked in an intelligent way for a long period of time, they will know what a good worker looks like and what you can get for your money. So they will know what someone who is highly qualified, highly competent and does a job effectively will charge versus someone who is cheap, who will do a shit job will charge, or someone who is an average worker who does an average job, but then inflates their price because someone has a Ferrari. So that's gonna be a win-loss situation. That's not a good idea at all, and it doesn't develop good relationships, it doesn't develop trust. And so that person was thinking in an immediate gratifying way where they wanted something for nothing, or they wanted a little bit extra, because they think, well, someone else has more, therefore I should get more. Now, this happens also in business where you get employees and you've got a business owner that's been working for 10 to 20 years. They build up a really successful business. They start to enjoy life. They put in 100 hours a week over 10 or 20 years. They've been really structured with their money, really structured with finances, haven't gone on holidays, haven't done much, have given up time with the kids, have given up time with the family. And so they start to enjoy life. Then the employees get together and they all protest and say, well, that's not fair. We should get more money. How come they get to live this amazing life? But the truth is they're not prepared to go through what the other person's gone through. So that's going to end up a win-loss situation. And this sometimes happens with unions where unions will get in. 
they put pressure on a business person and the business person then goes, well, you know what? I'm happy to pay you more, but if I pay you more, then we've got to get rid of you know, 20% of the staff. So 20% of the staff are going to lose their jobs in order to pay the rest of the staff well. Because the person who's earned the right to have that amount of money then doesn't want to decrease their lifestyle because they know what it takes to get there. And so they're not going to devalue themselves when there are people out there who are already making bad decisions within their own life and their lifestyle, yet they want something for nothing. That's going to end up a win-loss situation. And this happens quite a lot. This happened recently with Amazon. It's happened quite a lot in Silicon Valley where people have got away with a lot of shit for a long period of time. And now the economy is starting to tighten up. Cash is becoming more expensive due to interest rates. And so big companies are coming in and just firing 20 to 30% of their workforce who aren't delivering the value that they're being paid for or have been paid for for a long period of time. So that's not a good scenario. That's not a win-win situation. On the other hand, there are bosses out there who are making extreme amounts of money by screwing staff and by providing really shitty work conditions and a really crappy place to work, yet people have to. They're struggling to pay the bills, so they stay stuck in that environment and put up with it. That's not fair either. That's not a win-win. Because if you have an employee who comes to work who is struggling all the time, who is really suffering through life, they're going to bring that attitude towards work. That's going to create a cultural issue. That's going to be a lack of production, a lack of effectiveness, and a lack of efficiency within the organization. So you might be strangling the workers a bit too much, which then means that they're not going to be able to live effectively, and that's going to impact their production. It's going to impact sick days and holidays. So you're essentially going to get what you pay for. That's not a win-win situation either. You really need to think through this. So if you're a business owner or you're a manager or you're a leader, you really need to be thinking about what are the fair value exchanges going on. And is there resentment being created? Is there guilt being created? Because if you're underpaying people, you might feel guilty. But if you're overpaying people and you're getting a lack of delivery, then you're going to be resentful towards them. So a byproduct of unfair value exchange is you resent those that you feel you give too much value and they're not giving you anything back in return. You will feel guilty though if you're taking too much and not giving enough back. The best way is to create fair and equitable value exchange based on the amount of value that's being produced, providing there is clarity up front in those situations. So if you're hiring someone and the job is X price, then that's what you're paying for. If you expect them to do more, then over time there has to be the opportunity to then be paid more. Now, I don't agree with people who say, well, if you want me to do more, then you just have to pay me more. Because if you do that, then you'll never get paid anymore. Because as an employer, and, and you know I'm an employer, the problem is, is that most people in society say that they can do something that they can't do. And most people are really lost and confused. I've lost millions upon millions of dollars from hiring people who say that they're good at what they do, and then they come in and they're shit. Or you get someone who says, you know, I've been highly qualified, I've done all this stuff, and you do a little bit of research, you think, yep, they all look good on paper. And then after six months to a year, you realize that they're moving shit around, that they're incompetent, they don't know what they're doing, and you lose a lot of money, especially smaller businesses that haven't gone through a large amount of turnover with staff. Once you've had higher turnover, you then know how to hire effectively and you become more effective and efficient at the hiring process. When you're new, very rarely are you good at hiring and very rarely are you good at management and leadership unless you've been in those roles before. You can be sort of scammed in a way by people who think they can do something. Now, I'm not saying that they're maliciously coming into a business saying that they can do things that they can't. I'm just saying that most people lack the self-awareness to realize that they can't actually deliver what they say they can. And we've spent well over millions of dollars on management who we thought, based on their background, they should really be able to manage a team well. And then they come into our business, and yes, they may have been good managers in a larger organization, 
but larger organizations move a lot slower than small organizations. So they just couldn't move at the speed of what a slow organization could. Now, was that their problem? Maybe. Was it also our problem? Yes. So then over time, you become more skeptical of hiring people. And so any good business is going to be skeptical of hiring people because they know that most people are unproductive and they won't deliver the value that's needed for the organization to grow. If you're a business owner and you're wanting to grow your business, please make sure you head to Facebook and search for my No BS Business Hacks Facebook group. It's totally free and I share tips, tools, templates, and live trainings on all things sales, marketing, leadership, management, systemization, and more, as well as how to help you to perform at your best by optimizing your mindset as the business owner. So if you're a business owner, head across to Facebook via the link in the description of this podcast and join my free No BS Business Hacks Facebook group. So if you want to be paid well, the recommendation is start at what you feel your value is, negotiate that deal, and then over a period of time, prove your value. And as you prove your value, your value will naturally increase. But you've got to prove it first. Just going into a business and saying, well, I know what I'm worth doesn't mean shit because you might think you know what you're worth. But until you've actually proved that you're worth that, it doesn't really mean anything. Like I could say I'm the world's best NBA basketballer and someone could pay me $30 million a year. But after three months or even after the first basketball session, they're going to realize I'm shit. And then they're going to sue me to try and get some of that cash back because they feel like they've been gypped. You don't want to create that unfair value exchange because if you do, that's going to create a problem. Nor do you want to go into a business, put in all your effort and energy, you understand the value that you're delivering to the organization and providing it's in alignment with what management and leadership are trying to achieve. You don't want to go in there and be undervalued because you're going to resent management. And then you're going to get to a point where you go, you know what, fuck them. I'm not going to do any work. I'm going to steal pens. I'm going to steal paper. I'm going to take some shit because you're going to want to be paid for the value that you perceive you've created. So that's where those fair value exchange conversations need to come in. And if you're a business owner listening to this and you're shortchanging staff, believe me, staff will get their value. They will just get it from underproduction. They will get it from creating chaos. They'll get it from taking longer lunch breaks. They will get it from stealing shit out of the cafeteria. They will end up trying to get their value in some way. You're better off having conversations with them so that they understand the value that needs to be created and you're open and honest about what that looks like. Some people say, I work really, really hard, therefore I should be paid well. But are you working really, really hard on the right things? They're two different conversations. Working hard and producing fuck all isn't the same as working not so hard and producing large amounts of value. Normally in a leadership position, leaders and high level, let's say C-suite, we're talking CEOs, COOs, or chief operating officers, chief executive officers, those sort of people will be thinking more and doing less. But they are thinking and they get paid to think. Someone down on the factory floor is getting paid to do more and to think less. So you need to know where you sit in that scale of things because sometimes people think because I'm doing a lot, therefore I'm worth a lot. But as you grow in an organization, you get paid more to think more because you become more of a problem solver, the things that you do do have more of an impact on the organization and they have more impact on large amounts of people. So my suggestion is to anyone out there, you really want to be thinking about win-win situations. And this can happen in a family dynamic. If you've got kids and you say to your kids, clean the bedroom or clean your bedroom, and eventually the kids start resenting you because they're like, well, hang on, I keep cleaning my bedroom. I want a new computer game. You're not giving me anything. Screw you, mum and dad. I'm going to go and then do something else. Like I'm going to stay out late. That's their way of getting their frustration out that they're being undervalued within the family dynamic. If you say, hey, look, if you clean your bedroom every week, I will pay you X. Or if you do this every week, I will do this for you. So therefore, it's a fair value exchange. I will cook dinner every night, but I just want you to make your bed every morning. 
Now, if you're not cooking dinner every night, then they shouldn't need to make their bed every night. There has to be fair and equitable value exchange, and these aren't communicated, and parents do this shit all the time. My mum spent my whole entire childhood doing this, where she would create unrealistic expectations, put it on me, because she would say, because I'm your parent, or I'm your mother, and I do everything for you kids. In my perception, she didn't do shit for me, because I didn't get the basketball shoes that I wanted to play basketball. I got forced to go to a school that I didn't want to go to, whereas mum would say, yeah, but I'm sending you to a private school and me and dad are working really, really hard and dad's got two jobs and all that stuff. But my mum wanted us to go to a private school because she was never able to go to a private school. My dad never went to a private school. And that was a void that she had within her own life. So she wanted us to have a great education. My mum put so much pressure on me to get educated because she had to drop out of school when she was young. Now, that had nothing to do with me. So she perceived the value, yet I didn't because I didn't give a shit. I just wanted to go and hang out with my friends go have fun, go and enjoy myself, whereas mum's putting all this pressure on me. So I didn't perceive the value exchange. That's why I used to rebel quite a lot. And I would rebel because my mum would put so much pressure on me that I had to do all this shit all the time. Or I would have a day off of school. When I'd have a day off of school, my mum would say, I need you to mow the lawns, I need you to clean the backyard, I need you to do all this stuff. And so I would work my ass off all day and my mum would get home and blast me because there was a dish in the sink or because I hadn't swept the front porch even though I'd done 20 other things around the house. So once again, I would rebel because I'm like, I can't fucking win here. Everything that I do is never good enough. And I remember saying that so many times to my mum growing up. Nothing I ever do is good enough. And it's still a demon that I'm dealing with to this day and age because I still feel like most of the things that I do are never good enough. That was based on the law of unfair value exchange. And so now what I go through is I go through these stages where I over-deliver and over-give to everybody. And then I just become resentful when I go, you know what, fuck them. Fuck everybody. And then I just sort of, you know, fall apart. This is a pattern of behavior that I've been working on my whole entire life to keep chipping away at. It pops up every six months or so and I pick it up. Then I've got to break that pattern because I go through it when I feel like value exchange isn't there. I don't think that anyone gets rid of this idea of unfair value exchange. Like there's no perfect way of analyzing it. You just have to spend time throughout your life readdressing these situations. Like if you have a fear of not being good enough, you can do mindset work at this level to realize that you're good enough. But as you scale and grow within your own life, let's say now you're more influential, that fear will then pop up. It's not that you haven't got rid of the fear, it's just that you got rid of the fear at the scale that you were playing at. But as you grow to greater scales in life and do things in a bigger way, those fears will still come up. That's why I hate this whole like NLP timeline therapy stuff, which I've done multiple courses on all this stuff, learning from different people about these things. But I don't like this whole thing where people say you can eliminate your fears because you can't. You will never get rid of fear. You will never get rid of it. It's there as a life supporting tool. So you won't get rid of it. Anyone who tells you that you can get rid of your fears, they're lying to you. They're directly lying to you. Can you deal with fear? Yes, you can. It'll be relative to the scale you're playing at. So if you have a fear of public speaking in front of 20 people, can you deal with that fear? Yes. But then what happens when you get better at speaking in front of 20 people? You now get 40 people. Will that fear pop up again? Probably. Will it pop up at 40? Maybe. Will it pop up at 60? Maybe. Will it pop up at 100? Maybe. I'm quite competent at speaking in front of hundreds of people. I'm quite fine with that. But sometimes when I've got to speak in front of thousands of people, that fear still pops up in my head, right? Because it's scale relative. Now, once if I keep speaking enough in front of thousands of people, that will just become the norm and that will reset my brain. But now what happens when I've got to speak in front of 50,000 people? That then becomes the next fear. And that's completely normal. So don't think you ever get rid of that fear. 
But you need to keep reassessing the exchange of value that happens at different levels of life through different people. You need to understand it from their perspective, from their values, because you can't just say, well, I'm doing this for you. Therefore, you should want to do stuff for me because you might be projecting your values onto them and saying, I'm doing this for you. But what you're really doing is you're doing it for yourself based on what you perceive is valuable, but maybe not them so much. You know, your kids, they may not perceive the value of cleaning their bedroom. They might not perceive the value of going to school. You need to sit down and explain that to them in a way that they understand based on their values. So if they understand how going to school helps them to be better at playing computer games, and you can do that well, and you can communicate that well, they'll want to go to school, and they'll feel that school is valuable. If there is a disconnect and a gap, then they will be resistant to going to school. The same as staff. If you've got staff and your staff feel like what they're getting in the business isn't valuable to them, they will then start to become resentful towards management and the business owner. It's the job of a leader to then communicate effectively with those people to align it with their values so that they understand how it's helping them to grow and get what they want. You've probably heard me talk about PPFs, which are personal, professional, and financial goals. If you work with staff on their personal, professional, and financial goals outside of the business, then they will come to work and knowing that it's helping them. If you don't and you just expect them to come to work and just do a job because they get paid, eventually they will start to create resentment if they don't feel like their values are getting met. And so you'll have challenges. So that's how you create a good win-win situation. It comes from clear communication, understanding values, and also having a very common objective. They're probably the three things that you need to create a win-win value exchange. Anyway, Driven Mofos, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks to everybody out there who keeps sharing this podcast on your social media platforms and letting other people know about this podcast. I really appreciate everyone who listens to this podcast. It has been my absolute dream to just share the knowledge that I've had from spending millions of dollars traveling around the world, working with everyone from professional athletes right through to rich listers, to people that have just gotten out of jail, to drug addicts, to you know all different types of people from our society and being the mindset or human performance coach to those types of people. I just want to share great information that helps you to think better and to be more effective in your own life. So I want to say a massive thank you to each and every one of you who are listening to this podcast and who want to be better and who want to grow each and every day. Have a great day, and I look forward to you joining me back here once again for another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur. Take care, everybody. Have a great day. 